Again, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and a warm welcome to any of you who may be new joining us for the first time. Today marks our first day of Advent. Uh, Advent's, Advent means arrival of an important person or notable event. And so this Advent we're looking at the arrival of Jesus on Christmas Day. And I recently came across an article. Uh, I don't have a TikTok account, but I came across an article that was describing the world of TikToks. And there is a hashtag going around, maybe some of you have seen it, that's called hashtag yearning. And posts that have the hashtag, hashtag yearning attached to it, essentially it's a post that the author says romanticizes longing as a virtuous state in and of itself. Meaning there's an enjoyment people find in the ache of wanting something. So not achieving the thing or obtaining the thing that you want, but loving the ache itself. Like, that's the thing that you love. And so you just like to sit in it. And often these posts, I looked a few of them up, you know, they have, you know, they put text overlay of things they're aching for. Typically it has something to do with a relationship. And then there's emo indie music playing in the background. And however, this in a sense is what Advent is. Uh, Advent is meant to stoke the aches that we have in our hearts, uh, to, to look at the deepest longings that we have and how they're fulfilled in Jesus. However, Unlike yearning or yearn posting, which it just, you just want to stay in the longing and the ache, you don't actually want it fulfilled. The ache that we're supposed to experience during Advent is to remind us that this world is not our home and to serve as a signpost to the fact that Jesus will fulfill the deepest longings of our souls when he comes again to bring in what he calls the kingdom of God. And so this is the twist of Advent. Uh, for a lot of Christians, and this was me for years, a lot of Christians understand Advent just to look back at the arrival of Jesus on Christmas Day, and that's true, but actually historically the church has used the season of Advent leading up to Christmas, these four weeks, is to look not at the first arrival of Jesus, but his, his arrival in, in the future, the arrival to come. And so these next four weeks are supposed to be a season of, of waiting, and so Christmas, if you're celebrating Advent correctly, it shouldn't feel like Christmas until Christmas. And then that's actually when the 12 days of Christmas start on, on Christmas Day. You know, the song, the first day of Christmas, that one. Okay, and so what we're doing this Advent season is we're looking at the four themes of Advent the historic church has looked at, uh, hope, peace, joy, and love, and how Jesus gives us foretaste of these things now, but then how he fulfills them when he brings about the kingdom of God in full. So that's what we're doing for the next four weeks. Um, so some, some of these sermons, some of the, the liturgy, you know, the songs that we go through, like, it's okay if some of them feel a little sad or heavy because God wants us to, to invite us into those spaces as a church. So then Christmas means something when it arrives, okay? So today we're looking at hope, and we'll look at hope under these four headings. So hope will look at um, what it is, why we need it, how it grows, and why we can have it. So what is hope? Why do we need hope? How do we grow hope in our lives? And then uh, how do we know we can have the hope that Jesus and the gospel offers? All right, so first number one, what is hope? 
So here uh, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul is writing to a church in Rome that he, he hasn't met them in person, but he longs to travel to visit them in person. And so he writes this letter not so much as a theologian, but as a pastor, because he cares for these people that he's been corresponding with through letters. And Romans, in summary, you could say it's about how the gospel of Jesus isn't just something you believe once. Okay, God, and I believe Jesus is the Son of God, come to live, die, and rise again for my sins, and then I move on from it. But the gospel is a life-transforming power that changes everything about your life. That's Romans. And in this section here, Paul is talking about how the gospel of Jesus impacts our hope. So see how many times he uses the word hope. In verse, at the end of verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. End of verse 4, character produces hope. Beginning of verse 5, hope does not put us to shame. Okay, so the, the emphasis here is on hope. So we have to ask, what's hope? And hope is put simply, not even necessarily in, in biblical understanding, although it uses this way, but just hope is a word that means you're anticipating a future that's better than now. So I think about this past week. I ordered a smaller Christmas tree, actually about the size of that one, to put in my home office. And as soon as I clicked order in that Christmas tree, me and my boys were in a state of anticipation, right? And so Thursday, we knew it was supposed to be delivered. So all day, Daddy, is the tree, is the tree here yet? No, it's not, but I can't wait. Finally, it arrives, but right before dinner, you know, so we don't want to upset Kelsey's. All right, so let's go to the dinner table, but we can open it after dinner. And then after dinner, we open the tree, we light it up, and boom, now like life is now better than it was before because two Christmas trees in your house are better than one. Okay, so hope is anticipating a future that's better than now. But here's the, the vital thing about hope is hope or lack thereof has such a powerful shaping effect on your present experience. So here's what I mean. Take, take two people and identical situations. So in, with person A, she is eating her favorite meal in the world with her best friend. Person B, also eating her favorite meal in the world with her best friend. However, these two women have two different futures. Person A knows the next day she leaves to go on vacation to her favorite country. Person B knows the next day she has to go attend the funeral of her closest family member. Same exact present circumstances. Favorite meal, best friend, but their present experience is going to be radically different because of what they anticipate the future to be. And this ability that you have to imagine the future and have it wash into your present experience, this is part of your God-given ability as someone made in his image. And you can't not do this. You can't help but have what you imagine the future to be shape your present experience. And so you could argue that what a person hopes in is one of the most important things about them. Okay, so that's what hope is. It's anticipation, right, that they're, if, at least if you're hopeful, Anticipation of the future that's better than now, this radically shapes your presence. So number two, why do we need hope? Why is it so important? And we've already kind of hinted at it, but Paul uh, hammers, that, hammer, hammers it out in this passage. And the first thing we see here is, notice he says toward the end of verse two, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the day that God makes all things new with the new heaven and new earth. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So we'll get back in a little bit to rejoicing in our sufferings, but for now, Paul's point here with tying hope to enduring suffering, his point here is that hope helps you persevere. It helps you endure dark times, and this is really important because the glory of God is future. 
Okay, the Christian life, by definition, is a life of delayed gratification. So if we don't have hope, we're not going to be able to endure through hard times. There's a woman, her name is Claire Booth uh, Luce, I believe, and she was a, uh, yep, Claire Booth Luce, she was a 20th century American writer and politician, and she has this line I came across where she says, there are no hopeless situations, there are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Okay, there, are, there, are, there are no hopeless situations, there are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Do you agree or disagree with that? There's no situation or circumstance in your life that could possibly be hopeless. If you're going to agree with Claire, like, you have to have a huge working model in your head of hope. Okay, that no matter what tragedy, loss, or grief comes, you're going to be able to not just barely make it through, but be sustained and enriched. Okay, but, but we need hope to get through life, and so... Imagine if I'm up here holding a rope. I wanted to bring it, but our church has this thing about making fun of me, of being, me being up here with props. So just, maybe I should have just do it anyway. Okay, but imagine me up here with a rope, like a tug-of-war rope. I'm here, and I represent my present circumstances. On the other end of the rope is a 240-pound NFL linebacker, and he represents my future hope. Okay, so can you picture that? I would love to have play-acted this, but all right, just use your mind. So we're here, we're, we're doing tug-of-war, Okay, who's going to win? No matter how much I go to the gym, like there is no chance in the world I'm going to be able to beat him in this tug-of-war match. In other words, because my future hope, represented by the NFL, is so powerful, he's able to pull me through my present circumstance. You see? Now, however, put on, instead of at the other end of the rope, a linebacker, put a seven-year-old child. Now, which is more powerful? My present circumstances or my future hope. And so what you see here is powerful hope means you're strong and sturdy in the present. Frail future hope, you're frail in the present, right? Your present circumstances are always going to win out, okay, over no matter what you think the, the future could be. And so this is the first reason why we, why we need hope, is to be able to just endure through hard times, endure in our faith. And if that's the first reason you could say it's the, like the negative reason we need hope, just so we can persevere through dark times, there's a positive reason we need hope as well. And it's hope enhances our ability to love. And so Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1. He's writing the church at Colossae, and he says, I rejoice in the love that you have for the saints, the love that you have for each other, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, because you have this hope of the new heaven and new earth, you're loving one another well in the present. And Paul also ties hope to love in Romans all the time. So hope enhances your ability to love. And just to use it, it's really easy to see this play out when you just think about a couple of examples. So one is, if you're in a marriage or if you're looking at a marriage, a, a fairly easy way to know if the parties in that marriage have a hope for a brighter future is that their acts of love continue and they increase, right? But if, if a couple doesn't have hope for a brighter future, their acts of love are either going to seize or reduce. So those encouraging notes on the kitchen counter will start to decrease, right? Doing that chore that you know your spouse hates, but you're just going to do it. And you hate it too, but you're going to do it because you love them, right? Getting, get, giving them a really thoughtful gift, right? These things go away because it's like, why bother doing these hard acts of love if there's no hope for our future, the way that you know if there's a relationship that they have a bright hope for their future is 
They're constantly doing acts of love. This is one reason why engaged couples are always doing things for each other because they're so bright-eyed, bushy-tailed about the future. But a couple who's been married for 30 years, it's just act of love after sacrificial act, act of love. That's something, that's something beautiful. Okay, so hope helps us love. Uh, another place you see this play out, um, take it out of a, like a marriage or, or family context, there's a uh, author named Lori Gottlieb. She wrote, it's a New York Times bestseller, she wrote about six years ago or so called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and she's a licensed therapist. She also has a column in The Atlantic, I believe. And in her book, it's a, it's a well-written, really funny, but like helpful book on the counseling process. And she says that one of the questions she often gets is, how do you stick with really irritating and exasperating people in counseling? You just continue to sit with them 90 minutes, you know, week after week after week. And she says that it was really helpful for me. She says, what I do is, yeah, they might be driving me crazy, um, exasperating me in some way. But what I do is I imagine who they could become with just many small steps over time as I continue to care for them and love them, hope, hope for them often. And so in other words, what she's saying is I'm seeing what they could be and I'm loving them into their future because she, she's not resigned, oh, they're always just going to be this way. But through the right care, through the right empathy and challenge, this person can change. So she's loving them into their future. And this is such a key principle for parenting, Right? seeing who your child can become, it's, it's, it's so important in, a, in loving people in the church, okay, people who rub you the wrong way, who wrong you, you just don't vibe with, being able to see who they can become as you continue to pour love into them, as you hope for them. So you see, hope, it helps us, it helps us love. Okay, so those are just two reasons why, why we need it, why it's so important. So next, let's look at number three. How can we, how can we grow hope? Because biblically understood, Hope isn't a temperament. It's not like hope is for people who are the glass half full kinds of people, but hope is a discipline, meaning it's something that you don't drift into. So I recently found out one of our members can beatbox, and they're really good at it. And this, they didn't just drift into being a good beatboxer, right? They practiced it. At least I'm pretty sure they practiced it. A lot. For those of you who are great musicians, great athletes, great spouses, great with financial investing, you don't just lazy river yourself into these kinds of things, but these are disciplines that you work at. And so it is with hope. And so we can't just sit back, okay, like, well, I guess I'm just a pessimistic, realistic person. I'm not going to hope. No, there are disciplines we can practice to grow into people of hope so that we can love well and endure dark times. And there are at least two practices that we see in this passage on, on how we can discipline ourselves to become more hope-filled people. And just hear how verse 1 and 2 read. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is a summary of the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the grand narrative that God is a pursuing lover, that Jesus is Savior, that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will not stop until he finally reunites heaven and earth to be as one. This is not optimism. This is not idealism. This is a remade world promised by God to you that includes a remade you. Okay, that's the gospel. And so what, what Paul does here is he's, he's reminding us of what is most true about you if you know Jesus and follow Jesus. And he says, in order to hope well— you need to keep reminding yourself of the story of your life that is most true. 
because each week we're going to be prone to believe other narratives about what's going to satisfy us, about where our hope is going to lie. And so this is why just the simple, ordinary, often unexciting rhythms of doing things like coming to worship service on a weekly basis are so important. And during the week, in private and in groups around tables, reading the scriptures and praying and singing songs, these things matter because they remind us of the true country that we're headed toward. Uh, Kelsey and I, we have this we have this practice in our home, and it's probably not the strategy for uh, for everyone. But uh, what we do is sometimes when we find that one like one of the uh, one of the parties is upset. So one of us sees that someone else is upset, and we often sympathize for a little while. And then the other person will just ask, is anyone dead? Is anyone dying? <laughs> and it's actually really helpful. Right? It's really helpful because it reminds us of what's most true. So suddenly, whatever I was complaining about or upset about, I'm like, oh yeah, I still have my children. I still have my wife. Okay, and I'm reminded of this greater reality but the thing is, one day, that question, is anyone dead, is anyone dying, for our kids, for me or Kelsey, the answer will be yes, someday. And so that's, point, that, that's why we need a hope that's even, that's even bigger than ourselves, right? Reminding us of, of this hope that we have in Jesus. So first we need to rehearse, rehearse the gospel story to us all the time. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, we need to see the positive results of suffering. We need to see the positive results of suffering. So see here in, in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This is a chain reaction that Paul sets up. And so he starts off here with, we rejoice in our sufferings. That sounds weird. It should sound weird. Key to reading the Bible and knowing God through the scriptures, when something sounds weird, don't try to soften it immediately or run away from it, but lean in. Okay? If God is God, there will be things that weird us out. Okay, so what does he mean by rejo- we rejoice in our sufferings? And what it doesn't mean is we rejoice for the sufferings, like we're masochists. Okay? We, just, we love the painful thing itself. Now what Paul is saying is we, we rejoice in suffering because we know that there are certain things that God can only produce in us through suffering. And what does he say? So he says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing what? Suffering produces endurance. So when you suffer well by the power of the Holy Spirit with God, with this hope that he offers in Advent, it produces endurance. And if you've done any kind of training for a physical thing, right? A sport, a long distance race, you you know this to be true. So for me, pretty much any cardiovascular activity I experience as physical suffering, Okay, but I, I do it, especially as I'm getting older, and I do the Stairmaster, and I do the, because it's just easy on my joints, and then I do that satanic device, the Airdyne or the assault bike, where you have to use your hands to pedal in addition to your feet, and it has the fan on it, so the faster you go, the harder it gets. And it's horrible, but over time, what I've found is, right, the more I do it, I'm able to go faster for longer periods of time, because I'm able to endure. And as we said earlier, endurance in the Christian life is really important, because our hope is future. So we build endurance, and then verse 4, endurance produces character. So this word for character here means testedness or provenness. And what Paul's describing is the person who suffers, and through suffering, holding on to hope, develops endurance. There's a kind of poise and resilience 
that is developed in that person because of how they've suffered well. So for me, I think about the, the pastors who I think are just the greatest pastors in the world and have been the most help to me are those who have endured incredible pain and haven't become jaded in the process. The best marriage counselors I know are those who have gone through searing fire in their marriage, but then made it out through the other side, and now they're able to come alongside and, and help other people, right? And so you, you probably know this about other people, just these deep, incredible people. It's almost like you're, the veil is thinning between heaven and earth when, you, when you're with them because of the hope of God that they give you. These are probably rarely, if ever, the people who haven't suffered, and think about your own life. This is really hard to do in the present if you're suffering now, but just think back to periods in the past where you've suffered. And if you suffered well, meaning not just becoming hardened and more of a cynic, just think about like what character attributes were developed in you as a result of that suffering. You'll probably be able to, to name a few. And then he says this character, this testedness produces hope, and this hope that's developed in us does not put us to shame. Or another way you can translate that is this hope does not disappoint us. And what Paul's getting at here is there's something about suffering that burns away the false hopes that we tend to have. Because our problem is if hope is imagining a brighter future, we all have our own idea of what that brighter future is, right? And for, I mean, all of us to a degree, we believe that brighter future, often it's something we're just imbibing from our culture, like what the culture says is the good life or your personal temperament. And so we think like, okay, my brighter future is a change in relationship status. My brighter future is a much bigger bank account. My brighter future is just this career path or this recognition, or I just really want to be someone's favorite person in the world. Okay, these, these circumstances, while not bad, that's the precisely the problem is they're just circumstances, Okay, so it's a circumstance, you put your hope in it, and they're always frail. And so suffering, often, what it does is, because suffering will strip away anything other than Jesus, because Jesus is the only hope and certainty that can't be affected by suffering. In fact, suffering will push you deeper into his grace. It helps you become a person who actually, you anchor your, your hope into the right anchor, which is Jesus Christ. And he sticks with you, during it. And so this, God uses suffering this way, and I, I often hate that he does. Um, but I was so encouraged this past week. By, so we're, uh, we're wrapping up our first leadership institute as a church. It's, it's a year-long leadership development curriculum for the women and men in our church. And the, the, the group is, they're each giving a sermon at the end of the year, a 15-minute sermon. And we, the first half of the group went this past Monday, and it was, it was so in, just encouraging. I, I as, as they were giving, I was just thinking, like, I wish every one of you could have heard these things. I was so fed by it. And uh, one of the individuals, they were, they were talking about suffering and how God had used it in their life and how they've seen God use it in others' lives. And, and, here, and here's what they said. They, they said, I often wish God would use his power. And here I'm paraphrasing, but they said, I often wish God would use his power to take us out of difficult circumstances. However, in his wisdom... He chooses to journey with us so that we may be strengthened into the women and men he intends us to be. So it's a great, great summary of Romans 5, 3 through 5. Okay, how God sticks with us in our suffering to form us into the people he's creating us to be. So let's look next at, okay, how can we, how can we know 
that we can have this kind of hope. So both the future new earth where our bodies and minds are made fully alive um, and, and the world is remade. We'll look at that next week more with peace, looking at social relationships that are often so painful and broken being restored. How can we know we have this and God being with us today? And so think back to Claire's statement. There are no hopeless circumstances. There are no hopeless circumstances. How can you know that that's true? You know that's true because of what Paul writes here in verse 2. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, he's saying, we, when you become a Christian, you enter into this grace in which you stand, meaning the grace in which you stand, it's once you're in it, it never goes away. And it's the gift of the kingdom of God that God gives to his children, right? That you're forgiven and loved by God for all eternity. Promise this new earth. And so the question is, is how do we enter into this grace within which we can have confidence and stand? And is, is the answer, does Paul say, by believing enough okay, and never doubting, we enter into this grace in which we stand? Does he say, by being enough, by doing enough, you'll finally be loved by me and other people? No, he says, what does he say in the beginning of verse 2? Through him. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Who's him? Him is Jesus. And you see, the thing about Jesus is Jesus knows every corner of your pain. He knows the empty space that's going to be in your living room this Christmas. He knows that you're lonely or angry on Friday night. Okay, he knows about your fears for your children. He knows about that relationship that you wish could have been or never was. He knows all of these things. And so in Christmas, at Christmas, Jesus, by taking on your humanity and opening himself up to the vulnerability of being a human being, he found himself in... He put himself in what you could say was he was the only person who was in a hopeless circumstance. Meaning, in order to give you access into the kingdom of God, he had to put himself in a place where he had to face hell. And he had to experience God's judgment toward your sin and all the hurt in the world. And enter into that hopeless dark space, being faithful to God so that when you trust in him, you know you're loved and forgiven by God. And because he resurrected from the dead, you know that he will raise your body into a new heaven, a new earth. And so right now today, in whatever longing you have in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your ache, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no such thing as a hopeless circumstance because you have a hope that will literally pull your body up out of the ground one day. Because this hope isn't a circumstance, it's a person. And his name is Jesus, and he will not disappoint or put you to shame. Let's pray.